Happy holidays, everyone. Not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but Rojo will not be on this podcast. Some of you guys that might increase your holiday spirit, others might be a little bit crushed. And it's December 17th, usually the dead time of the running season. And no, we have the American Marathon Major of the Fall. The Marathon Project is this weekend. America's fastest marathoner of 2020, Sarah Hall, will be taking on a slew of contenders. And on the men's side, how many sub-210s are we going to get? The press conference has been held. The runners are getting ready. We'll break that down in detail. Jenna Hutchins is your new high school 5,000-meter record holder. She ran 1534. News is coming in about NCAA indoors, NCAA cross-country. We know for sure there won't be fans. Probably not going to be a Milrose Games. NYRR has pulled sponsorship of that. World Indoors is canceled. Of course, I don't know with Rojo, we may not have COVID talk. We'll have to have a little bit because we've received our first email saying Tokyo 2021 might be canceled. But in this crazy year, there is a lot of silver linings. And one of them for sure is the Marathon Project. It's not too late for you guys to sign up to the virtual challenge for the Marathon Project. You can sponsor your favorite runner. John, I was looking at this last night. I don't know if I have to get in my virtual challenge by December 20th, but Kelsey Bruce of TeamLetsRun.com is a runner. I'm signing up for her team. I'm backing Kelsey Bruce. She needs the support. She's the runner who LetsRun.com sent to the World Cross Country Championships, became sort of a cult hero. One of the good stories of 20... Was that 19? Yeah. So you can go to themarathonproject.com and sign up for the virtual challenge and it's not too late to get the perfect gift for runners this holiday season therunnerbox.com you get a box shipped to your doorstep with over $50 of running goods these are vetted by professional athletes this is cool stuff those organic cookies I ate last week on the podcast were amazing electrolyte stuff warming stuff each month it's different you can get a 6 month supply for $81 right now and if you use code Let's Run, you can save $10 on your first order. So get a gift for yourself. Get a gift for your loved one. Runnerbox.com. But John, I mean, I'm excited. We have a big marathon this week. And this is a testament to Ben Rosario, Josh Cox for putting on this thing. Marathon majors, Chicago, New York, had to call it a day in, in 2021. And they're like, we need a major opportunity for American marathoners. And they're putting on this race on Sunday in Arizona. And it's going to be a really good marathon. It's going to be terrific. And you got to give out credit to Matt Helbig as well of Big River Race Management. He's the guy sort of doing all the logistics and everything. Ben has obviously done a big role and he's sort of handling communications. Josh Cox is working on sponsorships. But the guy on the ground who's like putting all the structure around it is Matt Helbig. So a lot of credit to him as well. Before we get into that, though, you mentioned Robert's not here. I didn't know that podcast hosts were allowed to take snow days. Well, then he's, he's just taken today off. It's a bit embarrassing, John. We all got... Wait, he lives in Baltimore. Baltimore got hit by this storm. I'm in Connecticut. I got hit by this storm. And you're in Boston. And you got hit by the storm. And I assume the degree we got hit depends on how far north you live. Yet, Rojo's nowhere to be seen because his kid's preschool gets canceled. My nanny usually comes 10 to 3. She's not coming today. I'm doing the podcast. You're doing the podcast. I just think it shows the level of dedication. Well, it shows either that... Either he's a better parent than you are, or that he's, you know, I don't know who, people, who would do, who would, I don't know. I guess listeners need to weigh in. Is Weldon 
the better person here for being dedicated and fulfilling his podcast responsibilities or is Robert the better person for taking the day off to take care of his kid? John, it's the year of the working parent and making accommodations. So obviously I went out and I've already taken my daughter outside today. I'm trying to toughen her up. You know, Alberto Salazar, I'm sure he'd approve of this, get her tough for the elements. But my wife really didn't approve of that. Maybe I'm not being a good parent in that thing. Speaking of Alberto Salazar, the Malcolm Gladwell podcast has dropped for everyone. He had some very interesting things to say about Nike, Alberto Salazar. Maybe we should play a little clip for people right now. I don't want to be too harsh about, on, on Nike, but at the end of the day, I am not convinced that Nike's influence on the sport has been positive. I think it was once. I no longer think it is. I think it, I think it is distorting um, the sport, and it's they're too big for their own um, good and for our own good. It's just not. I'm actually a a fan of Salazar's in the sense that I think he is a brilliant coach, and I'm not convinced that all the bad things said about him are true. But I do think there was a point where the Oregon Project was kind of distorting American elite running. Okay. So that's a preview of what you guys can expect. Listen to the podcast. There's a lot more. He talks about super shoes, more on doping, stripping records retroactively for dopers. I mean, a lot of stuff made sense. Not everything I agreed with, but he's he's a big thinker, and he, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed him, and he just loves running. I mean, he skipped away from a huge business meeting to watch a five thousand meters at the Diamond League. Yeah, dedication for sure. Definitely a great listen. He makes you think. But well, then, like you said earlier, I am super excited about the Marathon Project this weekend. I think we have to talk about that. That is sort of really the only race, I think, left in 2020. We're, we're ticking down the days here until 2021, until the next Olympic year. So what is the most interest? What are you most excited about uh, from this race? Well, you... you we were on the press conference yesterday. I was not. So I want to know about the pacing. But essentially, I want to know how fast people are going to run. And I want the mindset to change. I want a slew of sub-210s. 210 is not a good marathon time anymore. I'm sorry. If you're talking elite. It's great, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? But for Americans to be competitive, you know, we need to have 20 guys under 210 every year. So for the men. And under the women, we got to start getting under 220. Again, I think it's been done once, right? So... <laughs> The big thing for me is, you know, how fast are people going to run? Well, the good news, Weldon, is that this whole thing is designed to go fast. So they found Ben Rosario. I think he scouted a bunch of locations in Arizona, and he found this one in Chandler. It actually goes around, like, a replica 1880s, like, Old West Town, I'm pretty sure. Like, they have a bunch of faux restaurants and stuff like that. Um, But the road itself, it's 4.3 miles. It's supposed to be flat. It's supposed to be very fast. The conditions look near perfect. I think it's going to be, you know, in the 40s because they're holding this thing at 8 a.m. local time. So it'll be in the 40s, very little wind. And the big thing, they've got pacers and they've got athletes who really want to run fast because it's interesting. Most Two of the three American majors, certainly, Boston and New York, place is always the goal there, not time. You talk to any any guy or woman running the race, and they always say, oh, I'm, you know, I just want to be in the top 10 or the top five or these things. They never really give time goals for Boston or New York. You sometimes see it for Chicago. This one, it's all about times. The top group on the men, there are two groups on the men's side. One is going for 209 flat and the other is going for the Olympic stand of 211.30. 
And I talked to Ben Rosario earlier this week. He thinks probably about a dozen guys are going to be going for 209 flat, going out that fast. You've got two great rabbits as well, Mason Furlick and Frank Lara. Frank Lara just ran 27.44 for 10,000 on the track. So the hope is that he can make a decent chunk past halfway. So that's going to be good. And, you know, in the press conference, I asked the guys. You had CJ Albertson, Scott Farble, Martin here, Cam Levins, Jared Ward. And I asked them, how many guys do you think we're going to see under sub two ten, under 210? And CJ said 10. Scott Farble thought there'd be about 20 guys in the league group. And he thought maybe 10 of them hold on. Martin Hare, the other guys weren't quite as optimistic. Hare said like five. Cam Levin said seven. Jared Ward said four. But... Certainly, the aim is for pretty much all of these guys to be running personal bests. And I think that a lot of them can get there because if you look at the Olympic trials results from February, so you had several guys, you had seven guys, in fact, who ran 212 or faster in that race who are running here. That would be Scott Farble, Augustus Mayo, Matt McDonald, Martin Hare here, CJ Albertson, and Jones Hampton, and Colin Benny. And that course, if you guys remember, was really slow. It was hilly. It was, you know, tactical championship style marathon. It, it was still, but and the, there was wind as well. It was, it was not like a good day for running fast. Ben Rosario thinks that course ran about three minutes slow compared to what they'll have on Sunday. So if you figure all those guys ran 212 in Atlanta, well, if they're in the same kind of shape and they're really going for this time, I think there's a good chance we could see maybe five to ten guys under 210 and not all of them there are some international guys but the majority of the field is american on sunday it's crazy that i don't know what the number is but it's not that high i mean how many sub 210s have we ever had in the history of american marathoning there have been 56 total 21 men have done it yeah 21 sounds more reasonable to me i was like 56 that seems like a lot and it's crazy you know we have more japanese doing that this year so the game has changed, and I, I think in some ways this is good. This race, obviously, that we're just having it. But I mean, one thing Ben Rosario has mentioned to us uh, on the podcast was, you know, a lot of shoe bonuses are paid out by you know place at a marathon major, and that's not going to exist in like that. And some people have in their contracts they get, you know, you run a two hundred nine, whatever. Who knows what the times are? You get a bonus. So time is the only thing that matters in terms of bonuses and stuff. And th- there's to my knowledge, there's not prize money at this thing or anything. There is prize money, actually. They're going to have 5000 for the win, 3000 for second, $1,000 for third. That's good. Because I know Brooks came on as a sponsor. So they're putting this together. You know, they're having this virtual challenge to get some money as well. And it's just you know showing what's best with the running community. So I, that is a big – 5000 bucks. you know, it's $5,000. It's going to mean something to somebody. But also just with the bonuses and – it's kind of running at its purest because really you sure you want to win the race, but more than anything, it's like, this is a fast course. Let's make sure we run a fast time. Well, I don't know if I would call that running at its purest. I think running at its purest is you just get out there and you don't really care about time and you go for the win. But yeah, I, I, this is more like Dubai to me. It's the Dubai of America where everyone just goes out and say, Hey, we're going to run an aggressive pace. And for most of these guys, 104.30 through the half is aggressive. I think they can do it, but it's still, you know, it's going to be PR pace for pretty much everyone in the field. And then you just see how many people can hang on in the second half. And I think there's going to be a few blowups, but there's also going to be some some impressive times. Yeah, the purity thing, maybe I didn't say that right. Because I love my Bostons. I love my New Yorks where people are competing, trying to win. But 
the average person, they're running a marathon. What are they doing? They're time trialing. If I mean, in reality, sure, you're kind of pacing yourself. You might know some people. You're running with them during the race. But you're really trying to run the fastest time possible, right? I mean, you're trying to maximize your ability for that day. And in this one, there's really no incentive unless – because the pace – it's not like it's going to be too slow for people that they're holding back, saving something back. For most people, they're going to be running PR pace or better. Um, so it's really about kind of maximizing the time you can run. Sure, you want to win, and that's important. So I don't know. It's just a combination. Because, yeah, I agree. For me as a fan, running is about winning the race. But for most people, running is about getting the best out of your body that day and a lot of times that's judged on the time you run yeah i think scott fauble i mean he's among the favorites here he's got the fastest pb of the americans 20909 now there are a couple there's emmanuel macell of eritrea who ran 208 back in 2013 and jose antonio uribe of mexico he ran 208 in four in 2014 fauble's prs from last year so you would think if he's in that kind of shape he's going to be among the favorites to win and he said he's just going in there to win. Like, he's pretty confident. Like, he knows how fast they're going out. He knows there's going to be a bunch of people running. He's like, look, I don't really need to worry. If I win the race, the time will be fast. And that is that is pretty much the case. Like, they know, they you know, if you're going to win, you're going to have to go out with these leaders through 6430 because it's unlikely that everyone in that group is going to blow up and someone's going to come from, like, that 21130 group and win. So, yeah, if you go out in 6430 and then you race the second half, you're going to run pretty fast if you win the race. I guess, John, the, the big question is, John, are there any Adidas athletes in this thing? I mean, now that Adidas has the better shoe. I mean, <laughs> that's the crazy thing, right? I'm not trying to plug Adidas. I'm kind of being facetious. But the Adidas guys ran so well. I mean, a shoes sort of enters this equation. And I get, we don't need to go into detail every time, but, like, there's new, this new Adidas Adios shoe. I'll put a link to the story on it in the show notes. But I guess the big picture thing, I want just kind of what I said at the beginning, 210 isn't 210 anymore. So we need to have a bunch of guys under it if we're going to keep progressing. Because on the world stage in a race like this, to be competitive, you're 205 or under. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, look, none of these guys are that... Like, I guess Fob, you know, Fobble's been and Ward have been top 10 in majors. Uh, so is Shadrach B-Watt. But, you know, no, I don't think any of these guys are probably ever going to run sub 205 i mean there's only one america or 205 there are only a couple a handful of americans who've ever i mean canucci and ryan hall those are the only americans who've ever run 205 so i don't think any of these guys are ever going to do that i do think you know you could be in the podium mix in boston or new york one day but yeah to i mean 210 honestly i'm going to view it as a disappointment if we don't have you know multiple americans under 210 and this has only happened it's only happened in six races ever it's happened four times in boston it's happened once in chicago and it happened in the 2012 olympic trials that's the record there were four guys sub 210 in the 2012 trials there were three in boston in 1983 when greg meyer won it uh ron tab and benji durden were the next two and then there were four other races three of them boston and one of them chicago where two guys did it I think there needs to be minimum two Americans and really, given the guys who are in this field, I mean, obviously you don't have the Olympians, you don't have Leonard Correa, who's run 207, but between Jer- Scott Farbel, Jared Ward, Augustus Mayo, you know, all these guys, CJ Albertson, the guys we mentioned earlier from the trials, I I think there needs to be two or three Americans minimum under 210. Uh, I'm putting my bar at five. I want five, at least, because 
I mean, we got Fable, we have Ward. Those guys also talked a big game before the trials and didn't really deliver. I guess we'll go there now. I was going to go to the women's race first, but like one point I want to make, I think this is a big race for both Fable and Ward because they both had success in the past. They didn't have the race they won at the trials. And I think sort of when you kind of put runners in various classes, they're a class above of, in terms of their accomplishments of the rest of the Americans in this field. And so if second poor performance, I mean, they didn't run, Fable didn't run terrible at the trials. He just wasn't, everyone else ran pretty well. He wasn't top 10. I mean, the, the time he ran, he's like, I thought that would make the team. And he just got beat. But the shoes, the Americans are getting a little better. He needs to have a good performance here. I agree. Yeah, I, I think I thought the same way before the trials. Well, then those two were on a different level than these guys. But then I was looking at this, I was doing the preview here, and I I don't know if that's the case anymore. And obviously, you can only that's a tough because you know you're basing it on the most recent marathon. But that most recent marathon is also the most important marathon every four years. And Fallon Ward didn't you know do what they wanted to in that race. So yeah, I think it would be a big confidence boost for them and just important for, you know to come out and sort of show hey we're still the guys uh you know these guys they've both got multiple top they've both got multiple top tens in majors but I, I you know i don't want to disrespect these other guys like i'm i'm fascinated to see what cj albertson does this guy if you remember he ran a fifty thousand meter world record on the tr- world best on the track in november and then like a week or two later he ran a 209 marathon in his treadmill so He's known for these just monster workouts and you know very short recoveries. Can he come out and run two hundred nine on a real course? I think he's got a decent shot to. You know, he was seventh at the trials in two eleven. I think that's worth about a two hundred nine on this course. But until he he he's to be the first guy to admit it. Like my PR is still two eleven forty nine, and until I run that time on a real course in a real race, you know, it doesn't mean anything. So uh, I, I I'm very excited to see what he can do, and then. You know, you got Martin Hare here. He ran 2.11.29 at the trials, and that was with a bathroom break at mile 18. So he could have run maybe under 2.11 in that race, just take away the bathroom break, and then you figure he's on a faster course. It's pretty interesting. He's he's actually also, he's studying to become an anesthesiologist. Guess what he spent the last two weeks leading up to this race doing, Weldon? Right. Taking some exams? Oh, like the, the what's it called? The residency. He's been working in an ICU dealing primarily with COVID patients the last two weeks. So it's pretty wild he's going to go from that to then flying out to Arizona to run this race. Is he getting the vaccine right away or like what's the deal? I, I don't, no one asked him if he got the vaccine, but he's, I mean, everyone has to take two COVID tests and pass them before you run this race. So, uh, I assume they will, if, you know, I, I'm a little worried, like other people from coming from the Northeast going to be able to get out with this snowstorm. Hopefully they've either already left because uh, it, it's pretty snowy out there. But I, I think most of the people aren't based in the Northeast. He's in Philly, but pretty much everyone else I think is coming from, oh, I guess Jonas Hampton too, the BAA guy. He's got a great story. I don't know if you heard about him. Wait, he's the guy I was like, have you guys ever heard of this guy? And I'd never heard of him. And he, he's, it's a cool story. Yeah. So, Jonas Hampton was eighth in the Olympic trials this year. Uh, and he's 31 years old. And his PR, he ran at the University of Hartford. His PRs in college were 14.52 and 31.45. Now, well then, you and me were not anything special in college, but we were both significantly faster than this guy in college. And he decided to keep, he kept grinding it out. And then he ran his track PRs. They're still only 14.17 and 29.53. 
but you know he gradually got better in the marathon and then at the age of 31 he runs a two-minute pr of 212.10 to finish eighth of the trials this is while working a full-time job as a highway design engineer now he's with the baa's high performance team i don't know if he's still working his full-time job i mean when you're on the high performance team you're supposed to be a pro runner but this is like the blue collar hero for the runners to support here yeah some a guy like that's still working and it, it worked for him to work, so I don't know. Does BA? You're in Boston. Do they have full time pros? But like they they do have full time pros, which is that's their high, high performance team is supposed to be full time. But who knows exactly how much they're getting paid? You know, you do have some of these teams where you can still you still need a full you know a side job. Is it wrong? I don't know whose fault it's on mine or the BA. I don't know who their full time pros are. But Mark Carroll's coaching that team now, and. Mark Carroll's my generation. The guy was a tremendous 5K runner, really good runner. So, I mean, Jonas' success was before Mark. So is, is he working with Mark now? Do you know any of the details there? He should. I, I don't know with the full details. Be, I mean, he is the high-performance team coach, so I would assume that Jonas is working with him. But whatever his – I mean, clearly whatever got him to run 212 of the trials was working. So I, I wouldn't want them to change that formula too much. Yeah, even if just I think Mark would be smart about it, and even just give him a few pointers, few ideas. I think sort of keeping the, the training fresh, bringing in a little new ideas, a little stimulus can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so th- those are those are some of the guys I'm interested in. There are a couple others I've heard good things. I talked to uh, Chris Fox about Colin Benny, and he was he ran two twelve. 14 at the trials he was ninth in his debut so just behind Jonas Hampton and you know he he's running pretty well this year he ran 62 30 in that half marathon in Michigan which was just behind Farble and a couple of the guys and you know basically Chris Fox is like we didn't even really take that race that seriously and his training's been really good he thinks he's on a different level from Atlanta so you would think 209 is possible for him and him and her here I think it's kind of interesting they were both top 10 guys on Syracuse's NCAA cross-country title team back in 2015. Five years later, they're coming out here and they were top 10 in the trials. And now they're you know, going for these sub-210. So that's interesting. And John Ranieri, I'm very interested about this guy. He ran at UNC. I actually raced against John Ranieri in high school, Weldon. Uh, he beat me in the Nike Outdoor Nationals 5000 in 2009. So... You know, I kind of have a rooting interest just because I'm like, oh, I guess it would have been nicer if I had beaten him. That way I could say, like, I beat this guy. But he is, he's is he been running great this year. He ran a treadmill world record in the half marathon earlier this summer, 63.08, which is at, and that was at 7,000 feet of elevation in Flagstaff. He ran 61.51 at the Houston half, and then he was 62.23 at the Michigan Pro half in October, which was just five seconds behind Fireball. So... This guy, I think, has he's been rocking it at the half marathon this year. The question is, can he do it at the full marathon distance? Wait, who won the Michigan half? Morgan Pearson, the triathlete. See, okay, I honestly didn't know that, but that just shows. A guy who's not even full-time running drilled a lot of these guys. Like, we got to raise the bar. We got to keep setting the stites. Handards are going to be left in the dust of the shoe revolution. And, like... Some of these Reebok guys, I guess it's really just two of them. Reebok Boston Track Club, which is in Virginia. Another marketing thing I haven't quite figured out. But, so that's Martin here and Colin Binney. The question there is, like, does Reebok have a super shoe? I mean, these guys might have done it at the trials without super shoes. 
So, are they at a competitive disadvantage? They had super shoes at the trials. Well, then. Reebok? They want Reebok shoes, but... Oh, yeah. Never mind. We did a story on that. Okay. What shoes... I'm not trying to, like, piss off shoe companies. I mean, the Gladwell thing just makes it clear. Like, some people respond or some aren't. Until there's a level playing field, we're going to be wondering what shoes are people wearing. What I'm told is Reebok has a super shoe in the works. That's that's all I'm allowed to say. Or all I, all I was given on the record uh, at this moment. Hopefully that means they're wearing, well, who knows? In the past, you had one alternative. You wear Nikes, Vaporflies. Now you, you might opt for the Adidas. So at least there's options for people. And like the on-running group let people, you know, ro- explicitly said like you can wear whatever shoes are best. So I think until you're confident your company has a shoe, that's what the company should do. Do you have the athlete's best interest at heart? And that'll create goodwill with the brand. Like I, I would wear some of other Reebok shoes if I felt like they weren't putting their athletes at a competitive disadvantage. Yeah. So hopefully that's the case on Sunday. I mean, you've got a couple Atlanta Track Club guys running on on Sunday, and Matt McDonald and Wilkerson Given, and you know I assume they they're sponsored by Mizuno, but they let that guys wear the Vaporflies at the trials. Maybe they're in the Adidas, maybe they're in the Alpha Flies. Who knows? A couple other storylines for the men's race. Uh, this is basically Canadian Olympic Trials Part Two. Uh, Canada had. Their trials race officially was in Toronto last year where only the top Canadian got on the team. That was Trevor Hoffbauer. But now there's one other guy, Tristan Woodfine, who has the standard. So essentially, if you're the top Canadian in this race and you get the Olympic standard, you're probably going to be on the team. And the guys fighting for that, that's Cam Levins, 209.25 PB. Rory Linkledder, who has run 61.44 in the half this year. He's with NAZ Elite. Ben Rosario said he's basically done everything with Fobble in this buildup. So he's expecting a pretty big run from him. And then there are a couple of guys making their debut, uh, Justin Kent and Benjamin Preissner. So th- that's one storyline. And then also like Shadrach Biwat, I just want to give him a shout out. This guy's been top th- five at three different new, uh, American you know, world marathon majors. So his PR is still only 212.01 though. And I don't know, he, he he dropped out of the trials, so I don't know what his fitness is like. He is 35 years old. But this guy, you would think, if he's in that kind of sh- for the shape he was in a couple of years ago, you know, 209 is a possibility, but we don't really, I don't really have any, any evidence that he's fit right now. So that's kind of a question mark, but I'll be, just keep him in the back of your mind. Wait, why are we giving a shout out to a guy you don't know is fit? <laughs> Because I look at what he's done on paper. I'm just saying, like, I don't want this to come out of nowhere. Like, he ran well a few years ago. Don't know if he's fit, but just keep him in mind. Fair enough. And even like a guy like Matt McDonald. I'm like, oh, wait, that was the guy at the trials. He was up there competing, running with Rupp. I mean, and faded, faded, but he ran, he was still 10th at the trials, you know, ahead of Fobble, despite going out hard like that and going for it. Hey, tw- the rate, if the marathon ended at 20 miles, him and Augustus Mayo would have been on the team. Now, obviously, the marathon doesn't end at 20 miles, but that would have been a massive, massive shock. And uh, this is, shows something about my memory. I had to go Google. The, I'm actually staring at the Olympic marathon trials results. I was like, who was the top three? <laughs> I oh forgot about God. Abby for a second. Abby Abderrahman. I mean, that guy was nuts. He's 43 years old. Like, I beat this guy at the 2003 USA 10,000. He's pretty much my age. I mean, four years younger. He, t- he turns 44 on January 1st. It's crazy. Um, he just run two ten oh three at that. And shout out to Jake Riley and of course Galen Rupp. So great race in the men's side. And the women's side, the field's 
Well, I, I guess on, on neither side we have the Olympians, but I would say the field's stronger. I would say it's stronger at the top, but the the depth, there's more depth on the men's side for sure. Um, but but that, I mean, that's kind of men's running versus women running in general, right? I mean, there were like 500, what, 450 women at the trials this year? I mean, I think women's running in America is pretty deep right now. I just think more of the top guys. I guess it depends on how you know how you're defining depth, right? Like, how many people are within three minutes of the top guy? I guess with a rup, it distorts everything. So who knows? But the headliner for sure, Sarah Hall, has to be. I mean, she now she doesn't want to call this an American record attempt. And actually, I asked her about this, you know, explicitly in the press conference because I exchanged emails with her coach, husband Ryan. And I asked him, like, how fast do you want her to go out? And the plan is 69.40. Now, 69.40, that is 219.20 marathon pace. The American record is 219.36 by Dina Castor at the 2006 London Marathon. So I would like, well, this is an American record attempt, isn't it? And Sarah doesn't really want to phrase it that way. And it's not because she is uncomfortable with that pressure. That's her explanation. But she said, I really liked her quote. I'll read it to you. She said, I can be kind of all or nothing. And so I don't want to be in a scenario where I'm running really well and I'm just off American record pace and it feels like I'm failing because I think that would still be a big success. It would be a big PR. So that's my main focus is just running as fast as I can. I think that's a great mindset. Like If Sarah Hall goes out and runs 219.50, that's remarkable. She's the second fastest woman from ever from America it would be just the second time an American has ever broken 220, and only one, only two have broken 221. And Jordan Hase barely ducked under 221, running 220.57 in Chicago in 2017. So I think it's an admirable approach by Sarah Hall, and I think the American record, based on her run in London, I, I think it's absolutely attainable. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget what she did. Second in London, 222.01. I mean, and that was a stacked field. Sure, people went out hard and faded, but like that's the performance. We can't say it's performance of the year for the women's marathon because we did have the Olympic marathon trials. But well, I was debating that. Do you think that I? To me, I think that's the best marathon an American woman ran this year. No disrespect to Alphine Tuliamuk, who ran a great race in Atlanta and deserved to win. But to me, what's more impressive for, by an American finishing second in London or beating all the Americans? To me, it's finishing second in London. True. Yeah, it's a better. Perf- yeah, I agree, actually. Um, yeah, so, you, you know, you put her in there. A woman's marathon, I think, in the U.S. is, is sort of getting interesting right now because some of the, do we call them, I guess, old guard? Or what, what, what do we call, like, Shalene Flanagan out of the sport? Des Davila was fourth of the trials, but she's getting older. Jordan Hesse, I guess the big names, some of them just aren't there anymore. Jordan Hesse, like a shell of her former self. Who else am I missing? Well, do we count Molly, Molly Huddle's like the same kind of age as as uh, Des, but Amy Cragg, she, I mean, Amy Cragg has been MIA for a year or two. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I'm just doing essentially the last Olympic team. None of them are at the level they were. Amy Craig probably thinking about retirement at this stage pretty much, you know, maybe get in a couple more paydays. Um, so Sarah Hall's, you have Alphine who did great at the trials, but is now pregnant. Uh, Sally Kipiego, good run, tremendous 10K background. You know, maybe she can really do something. 
But we need American women under 220. And Sarah Hulse, the only person who's really sh- sh- shown maybe that's a possibility. And looking at this, you know, we have some other women in this field. Kellen Taylor, who didn't go into the trials with a full buildup. She'd been injured. She ran the trials on a stress fracture and still finished sixth. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, the, the two Hoki and Isaiah Elite had a tremendous trials. Alephine wins the trials. I mean, Stephanie Bruce, who's sort of... It's crazy. She's probably their third most talented marathoner. She was six of the trials, only 19 seconds out of third place. Now, when someone's six, you don't think, oh, they almost made the team. She almost made the team. Yeah, I should have said Taylor was, Kellen Taylor was actually eighth, uh, but still, you know, on a stress fracture. But yeah, I mean, Stephanie Bruce ran terrific at the trials, no doubt. So Taylor Bruce are both in this. And, you know, they're PBs. The women's race to the trials sort of more reflected the difficult course at times. Bruce's PB is still only 227. Taylor's PB, only 224. You got Emma Bates, who got a lot of talk before the trials. Um, she's still only at, only, you know, I say, but 225. So she was seventh at the trials. So we got some, you know, top 10 people at the trials here. And then I feel like it's sort of a bit of a drop off. I don't know, Diana Curry's run 227. Adriana Nelson, if you guys don't remember, she was Adriana, was it Pertria? Is that P- the name? Pertia, I believe. Pertia? I if, yeah. She should have won the Chicago Marathon. <laughs> In what year was that? Was that 06 or something? That was a, it was a while ago, right? It was crazy. If you guys have not seen this race... I'll put a link to the show notes. i got to remember to put these things in there. Put a video of the finish of this race. It's one of those, like, agony of defeat moments in sport. 2007, I think. She was second. She essentially was celebrating and lost the Chicago Marathon. Um, So she's in the field. And then, you know, you got some people from Mexico. Ursula Garcia, 229. I think another NAZ elite runner, Julia Conan. She's the soccer player who's now a full-time runner, and she was 10th at the trials, so her PB is only 230, but, like, a lot of things there. Woman I'm backing, the Marathon Marathon Challenge, Kelsey Bruce, 231. But, you know, if Kelsey has a good race, she probably wants to be under 230. Like, it's just a different ball game. So she runs 228, she's very happy, even 227, but that's that's not going to move the needle for in terms of elite marathoning. You know, maybe she can sneak a top 10 at a major or something like that. Well, then there's one other one we'll get to in a moment, Kira D'Amato, who's had the year of her life this year. And, you know, she she was uh, 234 at the trials, but I think since then, I think it's pretty clear she can run a lot faster than that. So uh, one more thing I wanted to say on hold before we get to the other contenders is just that run in London, like we need to appreciate how, how much that was worth because she ran 222.01, but the conditions there, that was a personal best for her, but the conditions, it was cold, it was windy, it was rainy. And she ran pretty much the whole thing solo, you know, without pacemakers. So she did have people to chase down over the final few miles. But I think, and Ryan Hall thinks, that she can go. It's going to help a lot just having the male pacemakers because there is going to be a few guys with her running up front. So I, I do think that performance was worth 220, uh, probably around 220. And possibly, he says, Ryan Hall says now that her training has gone even better since then and he's very confident he said he was in pr shape ahead of london she ran a pr 
he says that she's in the shape of her life now, so I think another PR, maybe by a couple minutes. And possibly, if everything breaks right, I think the American record is in play, but I do expect like a, a minimum, a personal best for Sarah Hall. Wait, what was the weather in London? It's like 40s and rainy and windy. It was, it was miserable. Oh, yeah. I was like, could be hot. That was right. So what's the pacing again? And does anyone else go with her? That is the question here, Weldon. Because the pacing for Sarah, she's going out in 69.40. Then the next group is 2.23 pace. So that's 71.30 for the first half. And I'm going to be fascinated to see, does anyone try to go with her? Because I think there, if you look at the people on paper, there's Kellen Taylor, Emma Bates, Sarah, Stephanie Bruce. They're all probably going to be going with the 2.23 group. I bet Kira D'Amato might be in there as well. But, you know, I look at these women, I'm like, Kellen Taylor, she's just a total badass. Like, I don't think she just wants to get beat by or smote by Sarah Hall. And maybe Sarah Hall, you know, can't hold on and she ends up, you know, something goes wrong. And then it's the winner is the person, the top person in that 223 group. But I do kind of wonder, I'm like, does Kellen Taylor, I think if anyone does it, it's Kellen Taylor. And she just goes out and she says, screw it. I'm not letting her come here and, you know, beat me. This is a race my coach has organized. I come out and, you know, I'd be shocked. I don't think Kellen Taylor, I don't think she can run 219. But I I, I don't know. I kind of think if anyone's going to challenge Sarah Hall and go with her, it would be her. Yeah, Kellen Taylor, just she's tough. She seems very competitive. And I think she could possibly be tempted to go there. Reminds me of a thread I saw on Let's Run. I got to find this thing, actually. I saw it yesterday. So I'm always talking about crowdfunding money. I'm going to find the thread here in a second. But I would love to see almost, yeah, if you go out, if you come through sub-70, the first person who finishes there gets the $5,000 or some oh, shit like that. The, like, the, fifth, the Fifth Avenue Mile, the prime. Yeah. Not no, not the winner at the half, but like there, or there's a $5,000 bonus for everyone who goes, who for the person who is – Sub seventy to half and finishes first. You know, finishes oh, the first top next finisher week. who yeah who goes okay. So just like we're not going to penalize you for blowing up. I mean, I guess people still <laughs> still uh oh uh oh John. <coughs> I'm fine. Don't worry. We'll dry air. You know, just to sort of slightly change the mindset. But I don't know. I mean, people aren't aren't these are professionals that kind of know what their body can do. But I think every once in a while, someone really surprises themselves. But a marathon, you have so much time. If you go out too slow, if you're feeling good, you can pick it up at the end. Usually, I don't know how much actually going out hard helps you, but I would just love to... For a fan and spectator, it's a better race to watch. Everyone just going for it. You know, sure. if they all fall apart, who cares? But if it's like one person out in front and then everyone else is two minutes behind, it's not the greatest viewing. And shout out, this race will be on NBCSN on Tape Delay on Sunday and live on USATF+. Plus. So that's good. Like, our races need to be on TV. And, you know, NBCSN has a decent audience and primetime in NBCSN. Like, we need to keep exposing the sport to the more casual fans. So I'm just impressed with everything what this race did, you know. Oh, no. They put – I mean, this is – they put this thing together in a few months and this is a big, like this is a big marathon. There's a hundred athletes running it. They got sponsorship. They got TV coverage. I mean, I, I'm very impressed by Ben Rosario, Matt Helbig, Josh Cox, all the stuff they've done. And one other thing I'm interested, like, well, you mentioned it's not that interesting when there's just one woman out alone. Why I think one of the great things I enjoy about the marathon is when there's someone up there who you didn't expect, who you're like, 
holy crap, what are they doing up there? How long can they do this for? And that was like, maybe in Boston, that was the ultimate experience of this in 2014 when you're just like holy crap meb's out in front of everyone like how long can he hold this thing on that was why it was one of the most exciting marathons i've ever seen because the whole time you're just like oh he's gonna get caught is he gonna get caught and then i think it was what wilson chibet who was almost caught him like uh as they're going through through uh back bay but didn't quite get that i mean it was phenomenal so i think it would be really interesting if someone else goes out with sarah hall the one thing i should say Note of caution about Kellen Taylor. I kind of talked up. She's a badass. She might go for it. But she also, she did, as we said earlier, have a stress fracture of the trials. She didn't start running again until May. So, you know, she's had a few, she's had seven months since then to start building up again. But, you know, it's not easy to come back from a stress fracture and then get into PR shape. So be interesting to see what she does. Okay, I found the thread here. Actually, the thread was related to the Marathon Project. It says, Marathon Project crowdfunding prize. Is it possible? This thread is by, no, oh, it's a supporting club member. Remember, you guys can join the Let's Run.com supporters club in dubs right now. Actually, we're still having the holiday pricing, 75 bucks, and you get the free Let's Run.com shirt of your choice, and you support the website you love. Better act fast because the pricing will go up at the new year. These shirts also, these are the most comfortable shirts I've ever worn. This is not like... I mean, I'm kind of being a shill here because I do want you guys to sign up for the membership. But like, I would say this if they weren't made by Let's Run. They are the most comfortable, softest shirts I've ever made. I've ever seen. My sister texted me. She's like, Jonathan, these shirts are ridiculously soft. It's crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, they're fine. And then I got my own, and I'm like, oh my god, she's right. So, super soft, comfortable shirts. Yes, that's the one fifty nine forty. The Let's Run dot com shirt. Robert has them. We love the shit on Robert in this podcast, but like, give him credit. He tried print on demand. He tried all these companies, and he's like, "Screw it! Nope, we're not doing the on demand. I want a better quality shirt. I want a really good shirt." And it was worth it for the one fifty nine forties. So the Let's Run shirts, they're going out now. Like hundreds of these. Were, <laughs> it's not the best time to go to the post office when you don't know how to ship these things. You know, you're not used to like mass shipping stuff. <laughs> so I think the Baltimore crew was doing that yesterday. The people at the post office were like. Oh, like you don't, you know, you don't have a normal relationship with us. Like you can't drop off like five hundred shirts or whatever it is. But let's run.com slash subscribe if you want the membership, or you can go to shop.letsrun.com if you just want to get a shirt for thirty bucks. So th- this thread is like, anyone remember when John Legary, he was the former T-Mobile CEO, would throw out a random twenty-five thousand dollar prize to the top American to break a certain time? That was cool. Was it that much? And did he ever give it away? I don't think it was 25,000, but I do remember he'd be like, I think it was the, you know, the, uh, the dash to the finish line 5k the day before the New York city marathon. He'd be like, Oh yeah. Another 5,000. I'll, I'll throw in $5,000 prize money to whoever the top American is. So he would do this. He'd just say like before a random race, he's like, Oh, I'm going to throw in this much prize money for the top American or like after the race to just be like, Oh, you broke the American record. I'm throwing in another $10,000 or something. It was pretty, like I said, we need eccentric billionaires to run this sport. I don't know if John Legare is a, mil- a billionaire, but he was definitely an eccentric millionaire. So we need people like that to help uh, get this sport off the ground in America. Yeah, I don't think he's a billionaire, but when you're throwing around, you know, sure, multi-millionaire. We should get him on the podcast. And we got to get the billionaire from Spain on as well. But yeah, it's interesting. Like, because I always wondered, he was doing his own money, but it was probably good publicity for T-Mobile. And now he's not the CEO of T-Mobile. Maybe he just he, he's moved on to some other interests, but he hasn't done it in a while. But essentially, this one, the poster says, 
MDubs, does anyone think it would be possible to crowdfund a prize for Top American? You know, Top American Man Under 207 or Top American Woman Under 220. You know, he's like, if 250 people gave 20 bucks, that's five grand. And I'd love to create some, like, separate Let's Run Com prize fund, and we can move it to different races. Like, put really big goals out there and, you know, oh, nope, you don't run 207, nothing. Sorry, you don't get it. And we just shift it around. So maybe we should try to do that, but probably not going to happen this week for this race. We do have $5,000 for the win, you know, from the race, so that's good. I think, no, I think it's great. This is like Project Exceed with, remember in Japan, leading up to their Olympic marathon trials, they said if you break the national record, you win what is it, 100 million yen or whatever? It was the equivalent of $1 million US. I think it's great. You just say like, we have a like a, a jackpot fund. And if you hit a certain time, like if you run sub 207 at American, you know, we say it's on offer. It basically any, anyone can claim it or like, you know, if it's New York, maybe we shift it to like, if you run 208 in New York or something, you can claim the jackpot or whatever. But that would get people excited about every race, like the Japanese marathons, they have a series of domestic marathons and every one of them was exciting because any time the record could go down and it was broken, I think two or three times, you know, there was Yuta, Yuta Shitara broke it and Suguru Osako broke it and then Osako broke it again in Tokyo this year. I don't know if you got the bonus for that, but it, it, it was awesome. And so to see something for that in the US would be amazing. Yeah, like, it's like nine hundred thousand bucks. It was like it was like yeah. I mean, depending on the exchange rate, it sort of varied. But I remember how many it, times was it given out? It was given out twice at least on the men's side. Yeah, we need to look into that. Like these companies just have that much money to give away. Like this was, I believe, Project Exceed. I think it was all the corporate teams, the corporations that sponsor teams, each sort of contributed some money to sort of raise the sport as a whole. And it certainly did. I mean, obviously the shoes help. I don't think they were envisioning that Nike would release these super shoes to help the record go down, but it was awesome. I remember in Chicago, Suguru Osako broke it. I think it was in 2018. And he said like in the press conference, I'm going to be giving like 10% of this, which is like, you know, 90 or a hundred thousand dollars to my coach, Pete Julian. And like Pete's in the background. and didn't even, he's like, he didn't even realize what was going on. Then suddenly his Suguru saying, yeah, I'm giving him this massive bonus. Like, cause he helped me out so much. I just thought that was awesome. Wow. That is awesome. Speaking of bonuses and money, I spoke to Robert Brandt. He had a huge PB this last week at that D track meet in California. I ran 27, 39. He's the most famous eighth-place finisher in the NCAA history. Also known for talking, stirring the pot a little bit with Tin Men Elite. So, but, you know, this guy was going to essentially go get a job, and now he runs 27.39, but he's sort of talking. He's like, yeah, I'm starting to figure out how much money these guys make, and you got to love it or really have a shot because a lot of jobs are going to pay more than being a runner. And, you know, he'd already kind of started thinking about his real life, and he got a chance to do a six-year at Georgetown, and he's doing – program and commercial real estate so we'll have that podcast dropping soon it's not ready we're gonna put something out for supporters club members first so if you want to hear him talk shit about tenement right you got to sign up that's the same thing if supporters clubs got members got early access to the gladwell podcast you got all the early access to the marathon project previews you hear exclusively from ryan hall about sarah's chances i mean we got a lot of stuff now for the supporters club members and you get a sweet sweet t-shirt so Really, you got to think about this before the end of the year. So, do we need to pick winners in these races? It's kind of hard on the men's side, but like, uh, should we pick a winner for the women's race? Do we? Th- I guess is it does Sarah Hall go sub two twenty? 
Is she guaranteed to win this thing? I don't think... I mean, if she goes sub 220, she wins. That's right. my prediction. If she if she holds on, you know, if she, if she doesn't blow up, she will win. But she could blow up. I mean, two of her. Let's remember, two of her last three races, she's DNF'd. So it's not like she's a lock. I know she's run some very good ones as well. I'm going to pick Sarah Hall for the win, but I'm not going to be surprised. It's the marathon, you know. Things can go wrong, even in a sort of manicured, you know perfectly designed race to go fast like this one right i think the shoes I and mean, no proof of this i haven't done a study on it but i think the shoes take out some of the distance in the marathon they make results a little more predictable sarah i don't think she's had a bad one on a flat course since she's been wearing an asics version of the super shoe she loves flat courses her you know she didn't run well in new york she didn't run well in at the trials but besides that flat courses i think she's been 100 percent. maybe i'm missing a race so I think on the women's side, yeah, if everyone runs their best, she wins the race. On the men's side, if everyone wins their best, runs their best, I don't know who wins the race. I'm not sure anymore. You know, I, before what I, I would have said, oh, Fable and Ward are better than these guys, but I don't view it like that anymore. Yeah, I, I think this is the chance to change that narrative back and to say, actually, you know what, we put everyone else out here, and I'm just better than everyone else. I can I'm gonna go with Fable. I also I just like the way how he's talking and focused on the win. Like he really, he was not happy about how he ran the trials, and he wants to. He's got revenge on his mind. I mean, all of these guys, I'm sure, want to win, but I, I don't think I think a lot of them like probably didn't go into the trials thinking like Fable probably thought, hey, I'm gonna make this team, and Ward as well. But some of these other guys, I don't know if they actually went in totally thinking like, look, I'm going to beat all these guys and make the team. They might've been happy just to finish in the top 10. So I think Fable's probably got more revenge on his mind uh, that all these guys beat him. I'm going to go with him. But like you said, I think there are, there's probably half a dozen guys in this race that could win. Yeah. I'm trying to go down this list and I'm like, whoa, it's just hard. I mean, like this two eight guy, that was from seven years ago. So I'm probably assuming he's not really done anything recently. The other two eight guy from Mexico. I have no idea what he's done recently. He hasn't care. broken two fourteen since uh, he ran his PR back in twenty fourteen. What about this Daniel Messvin two ten? He ran a one oh one half last year in rock and roll. I think that guy's a possibility. Yeah, he's that's he's certainly. I mean, Maisel, who is the Eritrean guy with the top two PB in the field, he was a twenty sixteen Olympian, but yeah, he ran two eleven in Houston in January. So that's that's obviously decent, but I think you'd need to be better than that effort to win on Sunday. I mean, I love the like Jonas Hamptons of the world, that sort of story. These Reebok guys are running in non-Reebok shoes. I might pick one of them. I'm definitely going with the field instead of Jared Scott Fobble, so like the Tiger thing. Okay, well, that's not allowed. I would pick the field, too. you got to pick one guy. <laughs> Damn it. I mean, Jer- don't forget about Jared Ward. Like, Jared Ward has run 209.25, and he, I know he ran London. He ran 212 in London in October, but he wouldn't just hop in this race if he didn't think he could run really fast. You know, there's no... Uh, he does like to race, but I don't think he would... Be, at Istone, his coach told me, he's like, look, he, he wouldn't be running this if he didn't think he'd go go fast. So I think he's he's got to be in pretty good shape too. I guess 212 in London in bad weather is not bad. Off of a short buildup too. He only basically trained for that for like eight weeks. I refuse to do the CJ Albertson. John, you're, you're so high on him. This treadmill gimmick stuff. He was seventh at the trials. Explain how's that a gimmick? He was okay. This fifty k stuff. I'm not really sure. You know, you don't like the fifty k because you don't understand what it, what the times are worth. 
Just admit it. You don't know what a good it's 50k a gimmick. is. No one knows what a good 50k is. It's a gimmick, John. Gimmick. I mean, look, it's not... There's a reason why Elliot Kipchoge, Kipchoge could have the 50k world record if he wanted to. But I'm not just going to totally discount it because it's some oddball distance. No, I can't pick... I mean, it's just stupid to pick someone like Matt McDonald. Let's save that clip for when Matt wins on Sunday and we can run it back in the podcast. Okay, I'm going to go with... Did Were the Atlanta Track Club guys on the press conference? No, they weren't on the call. Wait, this is easy, John. You always pick the African runner. Daniel Messman. I'm going with Daniel Messman. That just pissed off a lot of people. Well, I mean, I, this is we do have an African-born American running here, Augustus Mayo, who was... You know, two ten forty seven at the trials. That's two ten forty seven in Atlanta. That's pretty crazy. He was fifth. Like that guy. If, he's not on the list. What do you he's mean? Not on he's my not, list. I'm looking at. He's on the. He was on the entry list. Where are you looking, Weldon? I'm on their website. But you probably have a, you probably have a more updated list than me. Well, he was entered as of like two days ago. Uh, maybe he's out. Because if he's in, I'm picking him. No, he. All right, never mind. He is. Uh, He's not listed. On, he was on the website like a couple days ago, and now he's not. So, I guess he's out. I'm gonna piss off all of our xenophobic listeners. You gotta be based in, the, in North America to run this race because of COVID reasons. But Daniel Messvin for me. Well, that's just a, that's a yeah, that's a slap in the face to every American in this race, and just saying Weldon doesn't believe in American distance running. He thinks five guys are gonna break two ten, but no one's gonna win the race. I mean. Wow. All right, Weldon, any final thoughts on the Marathon Project, or should we move on? I'm super excited. This is going to be a great race. 10 a.m. Eastern, I mean, it's great viewing time for uh, pretty much anyone in the United States. You know, West Coasters, you have to get up a little early, but 7 a.m., come on, you can do that for a race like this. Wait, 10 a.m., John? Oh, God. Is Premier League this weekend? There is, but fortunately, Brighton versus Sheffield United, the match everyone will be getting up for is at 7 a.m. It takes place before the race will be over, so... Thankfully, uh, no one has to worry about a conflict because I can't imagine there's any other game people would want to watch other than Brighton versus Sheffield United. Oh, wait, that reminds me. I was told to not text you a soccer score yesterday, which I did not look at till right now. John, have you watched the game? Do you know the results? Yeah, Brighton Fulham last night. I, I was like, t- this is so it's funny because the press conference for the Marathon Project was at 3 p.m., which is also when Brighton Fulham was. I was telling everyone, I'm like, don't tell me the score. I don't want to know it. Please tell me nothing about this thing. I finished that. Then there was like some Dartmouth track and field webinar last night. I was kind of interested to hear from the new coaches. So went, listen to that. Then like 8, 9 p.m. I turn on the TV, the game uh, in my apartment. And I'm like, great. Been waiting all day for this. Sat down, had a little eggnog, had a little uh, Irish cream. It was, it was delicious. And I sit down, nil-nil. It's It was one of the worst games I've seen this season. Brighton. Yet again, we couldn't score. It's just pretty depressing. But yeah, thanks for not spoiling it. Well then, just just wanted to make sure you know we're our mental health department here. I just didn't want to ruin it for you. If we look, if we don't beat Sheffield United, who is bottom of the table and has one point all season, if we don't beat them this weekend, time to panic uh, at the Amex Stadium. We can't do COVID talk. Do you guys have fans yet in your stadium? Yes, two thousand fans back. I was watching Today Show today. And they were focusing on COVID in Europe instead of here. So I thought, I thought, like, usually it's about the United States. So I was kind of shocked. Then I'm like, wait, I thought soccer fans were back in London. Like, it's so hard. If people aren't going to 
COVID, you know, there's definitely waves, there are definitely regional things, there's definitely weather effects, but people still have made sense of it. We can't do COVID. We didn't even do COVID with Malcolm Gladwell. Oh my gosh, I want to do COVID. Next week's podcast will be all COVID. Oh my God. No, it won't. No, it won't. Uh, anyway, uh, we are missing. Ro- I do miss Robert, though. I've missed his rants. I've missed him sort of thinking, you know, telling me one of my opinions is stupid. I, I think it brings a certain element to the podcast. And, you know, I love talking to you, Weldon, but uh, it's not, it's just not the same with Rojo. We need you back next week for the Christmas edition, Rojo. And John, this is also like back to back, you know, people like Gladwell fans who might have listened and they're listening to this one with no Rojo. Like he really blew an opportunity. If he thinks he's the key to selling this thing, if you're like a Gladwell listener and you're still listening this far in, I'm kind of amazed because we've been talking about the marathon project for almost an hour, but we have this guy Rojo who claims to make the podcast what it is he's known for his hot takes. And he's not on right now. I think this is, it's just like this. This is like the Simpsons episode where they're just saying Gabo is coming. The first like three minutes, there's just all these ad campaigns about Gabo and no one knows what Gabo is. It's just, people are supposed to be excited. We're teasing Rojo. Like he's some mythical figure and then he's going to show up and everyone's going to be amazed next week. So, uh, we'll see. Also, I did get confirmation. Ben Rosario texted me back. The army has suspended like travel right now. I believe for the what is it for the holidays or yeah, they canceled all holiday travel. Augustus Mayo competes for the Army WCAT program, so he was entered. He is no longer entered in the marathon project. That's the story. Fair enough. So I guess the big news of note this past week was a high schooler at the. What's it called? I think the Five and Dime, <laughs> one of America's most famous track meets. Well, the Five and Dime, it was a 5K and 10K meet in South Carolina put on by the great Dave Milner. So, uh, yeah. But she broke the American record for, not the American record, the U.S. high school record, uh, which was 1537 indoors by Caitlin Tuohy, 1545 outdoors by Mary Kane. Uh, she now has the overall mark at 1534. Jen Hutchins, you may remember a few, you know, a few weeks ago, she was the first U.S. high school girl to break 16 on a cross-country course. I think this, everyone, a lot of people told me after that, look, that was legit. That was a real, actual measured 5,000 meter course that she ran 15:58 on. I think now people might believe that, considering she ran 15:34 on a track. Yeah, this just validates the other performance, and this is very good. You know, the 5K isn't a standard distance that people compete week in, week out in high school. But this is right up there. It's like maybe the second best long distance mark. I think Mary Kane's two mile is still better. So, I mean, she's running great. There's some really good high school runners this year. And I, I guess, you know, word of caution with all these high school girls is I think Caitlin Tuohy's old record was runner sophomore year. So Jenna's only a junior. And, let's, you know, as women – go through puberty, advance past puberty, their bodies change. So there can be a lot of times you probably should expect some sort of regression. And hopefully she you know, doesn't have that regression, but even if she does, like realize this is a five, 10 year deal with your running career, even longer if you're really successful. So don't panic over what happens next year, next month, that sort of thing. But enjoy this because if this is all you do in running, I mean, it's a tremendous accomplishment. Anyone who's good in high school, like, enjoy it. Like, most likely you're not going to be a star in college. You're not going to be a pro runner or a very good one. Like, just if you're not enjoying the process and taking it in, having some perspective, 
you're doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah, I think that's great. Wise words. Well, then, yeah, congrats to Jenna because 1534. I mean, that is that's a tremendous time. There there aren't many women in college who can run 1534, and she did it as a high school junior. So that's that's crazy. Um, we talked about earlier. Well, then, NCAA indoors, NCAA cross country. Unfortunately, neither of those events is going to have fans. I'm not really surprised. I actually, I'm kind of surprised NCAA indoors, they're still so committed to going on. I mean, they're trying to make it a three-day meet. They're going to be having people shuttled in and out. I mean, I still don't know if this thing's going to happen, but if it does happen, there won't be fans there. What, the NCAA said blanket, no fans at any championship? Or I don't understand. We have fans at football stadiums. Now, these are indoors. It's different. No, cross country's outdoors, so why can't we have fans? Like, at the Jenna Hutchins meet in... And um, what was it called? It was in Alabama, I believe. The Alabama. There were a ton of fans. And, okay, this is my one COVID thing. I, want, I've, I think I might have said this once before on the podcast. I want any evidence of an outdoor event spreading mass COVID. Please email me. I'm serious because I think we need to have – tell people, like, these are the safe things you can do. These aren't the safe things you can do. And, like, when we treat every event the same, I think, one, it's not good for our sanity. But, two, it's, like, not good for public health. So – Let's get those risks assessed. But did so the NCA just they've already announced in advance. So the track and field and cross country committee, which you know is a bunch of coaches and administrators from you know NCAA schools, they've just said they're not going to have it. It's not an NCAA wide thing, but for track and field and for cross country, it is. And yeah, cross country. I mean, it's a real bummer about cross country because that usually you get quite a big, a, a good fan gathering for that for that event, and. I do think with COVID, it probably wouldn't be a massive, massive gathering, like certainly not compared to NCAAs in recent past. And I don't know. I, I, I Look, I think it's good that being, they're taking precautions here. But the NCAA cross-country meet, it's just not the same without the fans. One of the great things about that meet is the massive bodies lining the entire course, running from one spot to another to see your favorite athletes come by. It's just, I feel bad for the athletes who won't get that experience because it's really one of the best environments of any race i ever i go to every year yeah i mean hopefully let's just hope we have the meet there are bigger priorities i guess but and if the coaches i get it there's this is a non-revenue sport i don't even pay to go to the meet so and college administrators have shown to be very risk averse with covid so there's no upside into letting fans and causing travel whatever you know like I, i totally see especially with no money involved I mean, there's trade-offs in life, right? Like if no one had to work, no one had to do anything, there's no mental health things, we would all just lock down forever, but that's not how human beings want to live. Um, but, you know, like colleges and are doing different things. Like the Ivy League, they canceled football. I think that was actually not a good decision. Like we've shown we could have f- football. Their season would have been over three weeks ago. So I think they could have had football and football safely. Others would totally disagree, say, oh, we still have COVID, but – I think outdoor sports generally have been pretty safe, but who knows with the winter and all that stuff. So, Okay, we have some news on indoor sports for 2021. I mean, normally we'd be getting ready for indoor track right now. That is up for debate, and there was some news. David Monty broke this on Twitter this week that the New York Roadrunners are dropping their sponsorship at the Milrose. They've been the title sponsor of that event since, I believe, 2014. So... I was already skeptical. I don't know if Milrose is going to happen. You might have more insight, Weldon, as a, you know, well, you're suburbs of New York or exurbs of New York now. But I didn't, I don't think Milrose is going to happen. That's sort of the buzz I've been hearing on the circuit. And 
New York, now that they don't have a title sponsor, it's going to be even more difficult getting athletes in there, getting prize money. I mean, that sort of thing. Uh, do, you, do you expect Milrose to happen? What do you make about this? I guess no. Actually, I spoke to Jonathan Schindel, who's the co-president of the, uh, the Armory this week, and I sort of asked him, like, what are you guys doing? He's like, you don't follow us on social media? I'm like, uh, you know, I've got other stuff I'm following. So they're, they're having indoor track at the Armory this year in a very safe manner. I mean, it's a huge, it's a big indoor facility. It's a very old building, so they have tons of windows, and they can just open them up old school. So they're all the windows are open when they have events, and you have to wear a mask while running. So one, and I'm like, are pros really going to show up for that environment? Now maybe like other stuff, you know, you could have even the track meet in California. They couldn't have high schoolers, so they wanted to say it was professional track events. States and localities have made accommodations for professional events, so maybe. If the Milrose games were to take place, you could have it without mask. Or maybe, you know, they could just show, like, everyone, these are the type of masks. This is like the Galen Rupp asthma mask. You can breathe through it. It's fine. Compete in it. But I think most people, if they're going to compete indoors, they want to compete. They want to run a good time. So, like, they would find a, at least a professional, when you have alternatives, it's going to go find a place where they don't have to wear a mask. Yeah. I don't think they, I think they might go to BU, I, but I don't know if, what the restrictions at BU are going to be like. I guess they're also going to be pretty strict. I don't know what they're, if they're going to hold any meets. USA's, USATF hasn't even announced a site or a date for USA indoors. So I don't know if that's going to happen. World indoors we just saw was canceled in 2021. I mean, if you're a pro, you probably just say no. Try to start out a meet in California or do what Bauman did and have outdoor meets, like organize them themselves. I'd be kind of surprised to see many US pros running into a track. Okay, it's you know funny. The USATF didn't even have a. I thought, I thought it was always an Albuquerque by default now, but so there's no. They hadn't even selected a place pre-COVID, so they're probably not going to have an indoor nationalism. The more I think about it, what about having? Why doesn't somebody do this? Why don't they have a little forward thinking? Or are we going to have to organize this? What about a USA Winter Classic, Winter Nationals, or I don't know what you want to call it, Winter National. Maybe I could call it Winter National and organize it myself. An outdoor meet somewhere, have it in Florida. We have TV. Just a meet in February for people who want to compete. Do you have $5 million, Well, then, I mean, how are you going to get pros to show up? How did the track meet get the pros to show up? They just have they, a meet. They have Olympic standard. They're like, hey, we're going to set these paces for Olympic standard times. Well, yeah, so I guess it's, I don't know. Well, one, people need to compete and they compete for free when they need to compete. But I guess that kind of sort of, gets to i guess yeah who are we serving because there's a whole there's a distance running community there's sprinting community in the united states um but it came out yesterday there's going to be a professional track circuit in the united states yeah next year it's called 2021 pro track series you've got the track meet in la they're already have they're having another one also called the track meet may 20, 2021 portland track festival a new meet called the iowa high performance meet in Des Moines in May, uh, Music City Distance Carnival, two Sunset Talk meets after the Olympic Trials, and the Ed Murphy Classic in Memphis. So these most of these meets already existed in some form or fashion, but they're now being sort of joined together. And the big thing is these were primarily distance meets in the past years, and the meet directors are now saying we're trying to add in the sprints, jumps, and throws so that Americans will stay here in the lead up to the Olympics rather than you know, going to Europe. I don't know. I think if you want the best competition in the world, you're still going to go to Europe. I still want pros to go to Europe to face the best competition in the world. 
But if you're not like among the very best, then this is a great opportunity because there is enough depth in America, I think, for a, a pro circuit like this. Well, that was my question because essentially what this meet is, I mean, we're adding a couple. The, the I mean, Jesse Williams is one of the people behind this, and he's behind the Sunset Tour meets in California and the track meet. So we're we're gonna have three of those meets next year, and then you're adding the Portland Track Festival, which already existed. You're gonna have this new meet in Iowa. Um, so I assume Blake Bolden and Drake are behind that. And then the music city carnival already existed. I think this Ed Murphy classic already existed. So you're having people who are already putting on these distance only meets and you're sort of saying, Hey, here's a series. And I, I didn't know about the sprinting. So adding sprinting is important because at first I'm like, okay, this is great. Let's call a series. People will pay attention to it. But I'm like, distance fans already paid attention for this. So is this going to be an opportunity? Now here's where people are going to get pissed off for B teamers to compete in the United States. That, yes. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Well, like I said, I still want the best of the best. I don't want them just staying in America. I mean, I know it's convenient for them, but like, I don't want to see Michael Norman staying over here to run these races or, you know, Shelby Houlihan. I want them going to Europe and running the Diamond Leagues against the best in the world. Right. So, yeah, I, I guess that's probably what they're trying to do here. And maybe you get some A-teamers who want to stay behind. But to me, I, I, I think what they're doing is great, but... I still think it's important the best of the best compete against each other on the global stage. Right. And we need big time track meets in America and we have the pre-classic, but we have a professional track circuit in the world. It's very good. It's very high quality. It's called the diamond league. Now with COVID people may not be trying to fly all over the world. So I think creating this opportunity and having this opportunity for people who, oh, we got to go to Europe and spend 10 grand flying here and there. And you're a three thirty five guy. Or a, you know, two flat eight hundred meter runner, two hundred two runner or something, for a woman. Let's have something here, have a series, and then if we can add sprints, it's good. But the top sprinters, I think, are still going to be heading to the Diamond League. But if we can have something here, if this is sort of like a, I don't, people get pissed if I call it the minor league because the distance runners, a lot of times you need a time, just go fast time trial, and that's a problem with sport because the Diamond World Athletics is trying to say we want head to head, we want top matchups in Europe. So maybe these can get slotted into that somehow, but this is a good thing, but it's, it's, I don't know. No, I, I think there's a lot of, like, there is a lot of, there's a choice that you have to do as a young pro. If you're in your first, second or third year and you want to, you've just out of college and you're fit and you want to run personal best. Most of these guys, if you want to do that over the summer, you got to go out and do the tour to Belgium. You know, you have to go to, you know, Kotrike or, Brass shot or just these random ass towns and that's where the trap meets are that are going fast over the summer for a 1500 guy and i think with this series that's no longer the case you don't need like going to europe that is cool that is fun but it's also expensive especially if you don't have like a big contract i think it's a little bit easier for those kind of athletes to come and say hey you don't need to go to europe to chase prs and run fast over the summer anymore yeah uh, so I think it's great these meets came together. Let's create a tour. Let's create a focus. It gives instead it's like oh there's just random meet whatever. Like we as an entity pay attention to the Diamond League because it's you know I'll ignore some of the meets that are there's some pretty non Diamond League meets that are almost that quality and they just don't get the quite of attention. Like we as Let's Run focus on the Diamond League, so people we can focus on this as well. So it's good for them creating this. Um, you know, maybe I guess we have pre at Eugene. I think that the Eugene track would be good to see a meet there as well. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. Though we do, I mean, we're going to have next year, we have NCAAs, the trials, and the pre-classic in Eugene. Uh, so we, we'll have, you know, you'll have your chances to go to Eugene in 2021, assuming we have fans. I take it back, yeah. I always talk about track fatigue in Eugene. And remember, actually, the, I mean, the pre-classic would actually be, it would sort of be, kind. Of, it's kind of like the final of this series because it's not part of the series, but it's in August. It's like August 21st, I think, something around then. So that's after all these meets take place. And that'd be weird. Pre's going to be after the Olympics. Yeah. So it, hopefully we have Olympic trials with fans. Who knows what's going to happen? Okay, one, a couple more things before we wrap this up, Weldon. One is just USATF is already reversed course on its shoe policy, which I kind of find amusing. Like this whole thing kicked off in July when World Athletics said you can't wear the super shoes on the track. So if it's a distance event, you're not allowed to wear shoes with a stack height above 25 millimeters. Yet USATF was still allowing people to run Olympic trials qualifiers in these shoes, even though they're banned in international competitions and they're, you can't get Olympic standards in these shoes. So everyone's like, this is kind of weird. Even and then there's the whole debate about why are these shoes even banned in the first place on the track when you can use them on the roads. Like Renato Canova has a lengthy thread basically saying this is ridiculous. Sandre Moen, he's like, I don't think they give him an advantage compared to spikes in the 10K. Like he just wants to do it to save his legs, anything. That's a whole different debate. But now USATF has come out and said, actually, we're reversing course. We're going to update our rules to fall in line with the World Athletics guideline. So now starting on January 1st, you can no longer use the super shoes on the track race uh, in the United States at all beginning January 1st. So they're now in line with the World Athletics guidelines. Yeah, I don't think much more needs to be said about it. Like that should have been the rule. If there's a rule for the Olympics, the rules for qualifying should be the same. Agreed. Speaking of Olympics, I guess the big news that came out, this got a lot of mainstream press. The USOPC has said it will not sanction athletes who protest at the Olympics. And I think there's some catch there. It has to be sort of like for, you know, what you protest has to be for social justice. However, that's going to be loosely defined, which could open a can of worms. But, you know, if an athlete's protesting for Black Lives Matter or something like that, the USOPC is going to say, like, that's fine. So but the, the IOC, that doesn't mean that the IOC can't sanction you. Yeah, and that, that was what I was going to get at. Like, one, it seems like a no-brainer. All the athletes want that now. So if you protest and there's no downside to it, like, are you, is it, I don't know, it's not the same thing, right? Because some of it is when you're speaking out and there's some risk to you. I mean, that's what makes protest important but i guess you have a platform and you want to voice your opinion you're saying look yeah you're allowed you're an athlete you're an individual we care for people making the world a better place but then that opens up a can of worms and alan abramson on his website had an article essentially it says does anyone in the u.s realize the world may want to listen to our protest and you're kind of first you're like what but alan points out there's a lot of other issues in the world like what if somebody then the what 20 22 olympics are in Winter Olympics or in, it's like Beijing, but it's not. They're in Beijing. Oh, it is Beijing. What's well, some town that's the ski resort's like you know an hour from Beijing or something? Um, you know, what if somebody there has the balls to like protest the Uyghurs? Like the Chinese would go absolutely 
ape shit. You might get arrested. But whatever some other causes, or somebody wants to protest, or the Russians want to protest something the United States did, are we just going to open up and everyone's fine? Because so you can still get sanctioned by the the Olympics. Could maybe say you're out. I think there would be a lot of pressure. I think this will come into like what's the appropriate protest? What's the call? You know, I mean, we're going to fall back into this thing because all of these like woke NBA players who I think on some issues are really on the right side of things. They won't say a damn word about anything in China. Like, like it's crazy to the extent, like even like progressive guys, coaches like Steve Kerr, they won't say a damn word to China because the NBA will be like, Nope. Golden state game's gone. Oh, we're going to pull the NBA contract, like tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. Like these guys shut the F up when their financial interests are at stake. Well, I, uh, I don't think that's totally fair. I think most of the players just don't, the players care about what's happening in America because they are Americans and they live here. They're not as worried about what's going on in China because it doesn't affect them directly. I think that's understandable. But I think the well, the larger point here, well, the reason that the IOC Rule 50 preventing protests at the Olympics is in place is so that they don't have to legislate about what protests should be allowed, what isn't, what is a just cause, what isn't. Look, you can debate whether you should be allowed to protest at the Olympics, but that is the reason it's there, is they don't want this whole mess that's going to come with adjudicating these protests. So, I don't know, will it lead to more Americans doing protests in 2021? I, I assume there might be one or two. I don't know how many will do it. Uh, it'll be a year later. I don't know how you know some of these Black Lives Matter issues might have faded slightly since then. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's good that USOC, USOPC won't sanction the athletes, but it's going to be interesting to see what this means, you know, for the larger Olympic movement. I mean, I think the concept of like an approved protest just starts you down a slippery slope because let's say somebody's like transgender sport or they think women's sport needs to be protected and they protest that or they, you know, transphobes or the other side, you know, it's like, it's just when we all agree on something, maybe you're not really protesting, but then sort of, coming up with what's i don't know it's just like alan sort of pointed out we think certain things are okay and other countries think that's nuts i would love to see somebody protest the chinese i think i think it's about personal just nobody wants to do it for the money but you may think it's different you know there's just lots of issues out there in the world i don't know i think the the chinese thing is interesting because they clearly have a very different view like they're not an open society and they're now they don't want americans to speak out against them they're like we'll hit you in the pocketbook and a lot of American companies are kowtowing to that. But, you know, and, but the Chinese are starting to throw around, around money. And I think at some point you're going to have a clash between these two interests. Like even track and field want to sponsor stuff that it's a huge Chinese company. So what if I say like, oh, the situation in China sucks. Could China say, oh, well, then you can't come to the Diamond League meets in China. You can't come to the next Olympics or whatever it's going to be there. Like they could. Money talks, John. Shoot, well, and you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to go to the Diamond League meet next year that we don't even know where it's going to be held, and you wouldn't have attended anyway. That's a that's a big sanction right there. Right, and the World Marathon Majors Wanda is supposed to essentially they've given money, and if you read between the lines, it makes it sound like the next major will be in China, sort of an approved race by them. Well, so much of running is like being able to express yourself on your shirt and that sort of stuff. Will that be clamped down? Like, what what ultimately we're going to come to like? Our Western values are very different from the Chinese communist state values, and I think there's going to be a clash. But speaking of Olympics, John, 
Let's just get this on the record. You're still firmly behind that there will be an Olympics in 2021. I think there will be an Olympics. I mean, everything I'm seeing, I think Seb Coe said he thinks there's going to be an Olympics. Everything from the Tokyo Organizing Committee says that there's going to be one. My question personally is, am I going to be able to go? I honestly have no idea what the state of my accreditation is right now or if they've paused that whole process. And, you know, are they allowing media and will I be able to go? That's kind of what I'm curious about. But I think there will be an Olympics. I think that if there's an Olympics, there will be media. I guess the question now is fans. But... We received an email today, or maybe in the middle of the night. It's a link from ABC News. Tokyo reports record cases, straining hospital. Now, record cases in Tokyo is like, it's a tiny number um, compared to the West. But the guy in the email said, if the trend continues, 2021 Tokyo doubtful. The article said nothing about that. I'm going to get on the record. There will be a 2021 Olympics. There's too much money at stake. And we've shown with sports, you can hold sports without fans safely. And... I think it'll happen. I don't know whether there's fans, all this other stuff. I mean, like also nobody wants to hear the COVID, but there's a huge regional thing on this. There's a huge seasonality on this situation in Tokyo. has just been minuscule compared to here. And like, I, I don't know. And some it's about public will, but with the money involved, I, I'm very, pretty confident there's going to be an Olympics. And also seeing the situation for COVID in the summer in Tokyo last year, I think there'll be an Olympics. I agree. All right, I think that's it for this week. Well, then, I mean, unless there's anything else you want to say, I'm excited about the Marathon Project. I miss Robert. I hope he's back next week. We can get his takes on who ran well and who bombed and get one final pre-Christmas episode in for our listeners. So in many ways, I feel like it's about September, except for the foot of snow outside. This has been a weird year, but we've had some blessings with these a lot more late pro events in the year, so I'm enjoying it. And yeah, kudos to everyone involved with the marathon project for setting it up. And you can still sign up for the virtual challenge, 5K, 10K, half marathon or marathon. Be pretty ballsy. You could probably run the marathon afterwards, but if you have, if you decide to do the marathon and go run it before Sunday, that'd be really cool. Well, well then you got to log the miles for Kelsey Bruce. I don't know. Do you have a treadmill? Like you're not going to be able to go outside and log five miles right now. No, I'm not doing my, I'm just going to do a race. That, so does this mean John, I have to go like one, I have to go sign up right now. But two, do I have I have to go like effing time trial a five k? I can't think of like nothing worse to do. Or can I wear a GPS? My run is about three miles. Maybe that's what I'll do. So today is Thursday. Wait, did you just admit to being a hobby jogger, Weldon? You're afraid to race? Totally. I need to get. Yeah. So I'm gonna maybe I can do this on a GPS. I think that's sort of cheat racing, but I don't want to go to a track and knock out a five k. I'll make sure my loop, which is like 2.9, becomes 3.1, and then just run it as hard as I can in honor of Kelsey Bruce. If you don't go out and shovel the track to run your 5K time trial, well, then you're not a real runner. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's what I should do. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about having to clear the track. Yeah, good point. I can't do this, but I got to sign up. I'm signing up now. I get a free half step. The virtual marathon challenge. Themarathonproject.com.